your copy of the scriptures to Luke chapter 24. And I want to begin reading. I'm not going to read the entire passage. It was already read in your hearing. Uh, but I want to begin in uh, verse 17 of Luke chapter 24. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? You're dismayed. Then one whose name was Caiaphas, Caiaphas, I'm sorry, Cleophas, Cleophas, answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this privilege of coming to you at this time as we celebrate another Resurrection Sunday. We ask, O oh God, that you would speak to your people through your word. For we ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus. And God's people said, amen and amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Cleophas. Cleophas. No name. Well, maybe you have. Amen. Cleophas. When they heard the knock at their door early in the morning, before they would normally rise from their sleep, this elderly couple suspected that something was wrong. The man at the door was an officer from the U.S. Navy. As he entered the house of the elderly couple, he, they thought to themselves, what could he possibly want? Uh, their only child, a son, was in the military, but it wasn't wartime, and he was participating uh, on his ship that he'd been assigned in a peaceful mission. The officer asked the couple if they would be seated, and he said, he had, he said I have some bad news to share with you. He said, your son's ship, during a routine mission, encountered a severe thunderstorm. And somehow, your only son fell overboard into the ocean. Although we have not been able to recover his body, we are certain that he's dead because no one could have survived the elements and the place from which he fell, there's no way that we believe that your son could have survived. Your son is dead. In addition to that, the nearest body of land is at least two full days away from where your son's ship was located. After giving the elderly couple a few of their son's belongings, the officer left, and the elderly couple could only look at each other and begin to cry and hold each other up in their embrace. Once the family and friends had decided on a place and a time for the funeral, the day finally arrived, and they drove 
slowly and sadly to the funeral home, and as they approached the funeral home, their phone rang. It was the same naval officer who had come to their house, and he said, I'm sorry to disturb you at this time, but I have some news that I think that you need to hear. He said that we have found your son's body. He is alive and well. For two days, your son depended on his training as a Navy SEAL to swim and float on his back until he reached land. And he is alive and well. In a matter of seconds, this couple's worst day became their best day. Their sadness was turned into gladness because their son, who they thought was dead, was now discovered to be alive. Each Easter Sunday, we are reminded by the good news in God's word that our worst day can become our best day because of the resurrection. Jesus lives. And because he is yet still alive, having died and been hung on the cross and <clears throat> remained in the tomb for some three days, the living, risen Savior <clears throat> gives us hope that we can face not only tomorrow, but we can face our worst day. The resurrection of Jesus allows your worst day as a Christian to be your best day when we reflect on the fact that Jesus lives. In Luke chapter 24, verses 30, verses 13 through 35, we meet two men who walking uh, from Jerusalem, heading to their hometown in Emmaus, who had probably watched the execution of Christ in Jerusalem three days earlier, they, had, they may have even gone to the cemetery where Jesus' body had been laid. This was the worst day of their life. Jesus, the promised Messiah, his name was appearing in the Jerusalem obituary. And so when we come to this passage in the Word of God, we discover two dramatic shifts. Shift one begins in verse 13 and through 24, where the focus is on the sadness the disciples felt on the worst day of their life, the sadness they felt on the worst day of their life. And then shift two moves us to verse 25 through 35, where their sadness on the worst day of their life is replaced by gladness. Now, what we're going to discover as we look into this passage is that no matter what your circumstances may be, if you turn your focus to the fact that Christ is yet alive. You'll find your sadness turning into joy. 
you find that you have the ability, as Paul said, in all things, give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you because of Christ Jesus. And so, in, sh in shift number one, we learn in verses 13 through 24 the sadness the disciples felt on the worst day of their lives. It's described for us. We read, now the two of them were traveling that day to the village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. Underscore the phrase, all these things. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near to them and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you're, that you're having with one another? And why are you sad? Why, as you walk and are sad? They were sad. They were broken. They were experiencing their worst day. Now, what we're going to see described for us in this narrative of Scripture about the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus is first we're going to discover the situation that made them sad. And then we're going to consider the explanation of how they tried to explain. Then we're going to see uh, the, the reality uh, the realization that based on what their explanation was, the conclusions that they drew, which leads us to what those conclusions are. We will see those things, the sadness of the disciples on the worst day of their life, the situation that they experienced three days earlier. They were in Jerusalem. Things could not have started off any better on the first day of the week as Jesus is making his way in Jerusalem, we call it the triumphant, triumphant entry of Christ. He's riding on the back of a donkey, and thousands have gathered. And as Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah in the Old Testament, the crowd is crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're throwing palms on the ground as a representation of Jesus' royalty, his superiority. And they're celebrating that this is the one that God promised. But five days later, <laughs> that same crowd that was worshiping Christ and admiring him and adoring him, was now shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Now, there's no more hopeless feeling than for us to learn that someone or something that we love has died. And if you've lived long enough, you've made this journey. You, you, you've gotten into the limousine, and you've driven down to the cemetery, and, and you stood there, and you heard the preacher say, uh, 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 commit the body to the ground. And sometimes we actually stay there and watch our loved one, watch that casket with our loved one's body lowered into the earth. And once that has occurred, we return to our cars, and there's nothing more hopeless, nothing more Empty, empty in terms of how we 
feel helpless that now the one we love will no longer be with us. That person has been buried, they have died, they're gone. That's the situation that these two disciples who were heading to Emmaus were experiencing. They had watched Jesus executed. They had watched him buried in a tomb. And all they could think of is the fact that it was over. It was over. He was done. It was never real. It was really, really not what they thought. And then that led them to an explanation of what they saw. The Bible says, and they talked together about all the things that had happened. And all the things that had happened included the betrayal of Christ by Judas, the unjustified arrest of Christ under the cover of night by the religious leaders. They sent their guards. You remember the story when the guards came to Jesus. Jesus had been praying, and the Bible said that blood like sweat, like drops of blood had actually penetrated his skin, and he had asked his disciples, Peter, James, and John, on three separate occasions, pray with me, pray with me, and each time he asked them, he found them asleep three times, and then finally he prayed, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. And as he's concluding that, Jesus informs his sleeping disciples that the enemy has come. And so Peter decides to take out his blade and remove, in a non-surgical procedure, the ear of one of the guards. But they unjustly arrested Jesus. And once Jesus had been arrested, his disciples, who'd been so loyal and so uh, a vocal about their commitment to them, especially Peter. Lord, if they all leave you, I don't care. I got your back, Lord. Some of us have had those kind of friends. They got your back until something goes down. Well, the first thing that they did when Jesus went away, <laughs> taken into custody by the, by the temple guard, they forsook him. They forsook him. I, I, I don't want to be too hard on the disciples because sometimes when you get scared, sometimes when you think what happened to somebody else could happen to you, you will act a little funny. You may not speak up the way you thought you would. They fled. These two men heading to Emmaus also knew of the trumped up, trumped up charges against Christ by his false accusers. They knew how brutally and in how, how the brutality and the indignity that Christ suffered. He was beaten all night. A crown of thorns was thrust on his head, and blood came streaming down. They beat him with a whip with glass and metal, and, and, and they sped on him, and they punched him. They blindfolded him, and then they stripped him of all of his clothes, and they hung him on a cross with not a stitch of clothing on to be humiliated before the world, condemned to die, hanging on the cross between two criminals, condemned by religious criminals wearing clergyman's cloth. Jesus also, he was even forced after being beaten all night to carry his own cross. The Bible says that Jesus hung on the cross for some six hours Six hours in agony, his bones protruding, beaten to the point of being almost unrecognizable. Then after he finally died, he said, Lord, into your hands, into your hands, 
I entrust, I discharge, I deposit my spirit. He's the only one that can tell the spirit where to go. He said, I deposit my spirit. I direct it to you. The scripture says he was placed in a borrowed tomb, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, which again was a fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53, some 800 years earlier, the prophet talked about how Jesus would be buried in the tomb, of a, 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 a borrowed tomb. And so even in that, Jesus was fulfilling prophecy. Then the realization hits them. They, they, they try to explain as they're having this conversation, they're talking with one another about what transpired during the week uh, that led up to the execution of Jesus and the realization of what had happened caused them to reason with each other. They were trying to figure out what God was up to. It made no sense. How many of you know when you try to figure out supernatural things through your natural way of thinking, you're going to always come up with the wrong answers? How, how many of you understand that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor has entered into the hearts of men what God will reveal to those who love him? And the way he does it is not through the natural senses, but the way God does it, he says, I reveal my truth through my spirit. But God has has revealed them, the scripture says, to them or to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all the things, yes, the deep things of God. So if you're going to understand supernatural things, you're going to need to be in touch with the spirit of God. Your thoughts are not my thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways. That's what God says. We don't think like God. We don't, we don't act like God because we are natural apart from the move of the Holy Spirit. And because when we're trying to understand, they were reasoning, the Bible said, trying to, trying to come to some kind of what was going on, how did it go so well at one time, and the next thing we know, the Savior, the one we believe in, he's now dead. How did it go from the best day to the worst day? And so their conclusions did not lead to answers. But here's how I know that they didn't fully comprehend. The Bible says that Jesus, as they're walking, going to Emmaus, Jesus appears. He, he starts walking with them. Now, there was nothing unusual about that back in the days uh, when there was a, this was a walking culture. They didn't have Lexus and BMWs. No, no, no. They, they walked where they had to go. And so the, the scripture says that Jerusalem was about seven miles away from Emmaus where they lived. And so as they're walking, a stranger appears, and he's none other than Jesus. Here's what I want you to understand. The four things, notice four things that happens when you are emotionally overwhelmed, when you are controlled by your feelings. Here's, here's some things that can happen. First thing, they couldn't see Jesus. They couldn't see that Jesus was right there with them. Discouragement and depression can keep you from seeing Jesus. Pain has a way of taking our focus off of the presence of the Lord in our situation. You don't see him. You don't see him. He's right there. <laughs> he said, I never leave you or forsake you. And I've never known him to lie because God is not a man that he should lie. But yet when we are feeling emotionally overwhelmed, when we are caught up in how our circumstances is impacting us on the physical level, it's possible for Jesus to be right on board with you and you not even recognize that he's there. They didn't recognize Jesus' voice in their pain. 
The Bible says he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? It's interesting how hard it is to hear the voice of God when we're hurting. You learn the scriptures, faith comes by hearing and hearing that word of God. And my, my word will never fail. We know all the scriptures. We quote the scripture, but somehow when we're in pain, when the darkness seems the, 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 uh, impenetrable, when it looks like we can't get up because we've fallen so far down, the, the devil has a way of, of muting the voice of God we can't hear. Can't hear. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and a stranger they will not follow. But I want you to know when you're caught up in your feelings, you can't hear God's voice. Let me just add, there are different kinds of emotions. When you're caught up in your passions, when you're caught up in your lust, you can't hear the word of God. That's why the Bible says, make no provision for the fulfilling of the lust of the flesh. Because it, it, once the flesh begins to take control, you ain't hearing what God has to say. You won't do what your flesh say do. So we have to be preemptive. So they didn't recognize the voice of Christ. They didn't recognize the presence of Christ. But here's the third thing. They remained in their pain. The Bible said they stood there with their faces downcast. They were discouraged and depressed. They were without hope. The thing that they believed in most, the thing that they thought had finally occurred after many years the prophet said, Messiah is coming. Emmanuel, God with us, will be here. They finally thought that Jesus was him. And now, and so they remained in their pain. When you ration and try to figure out things again in the natural, without in, in supernatural intervention, you're going to stay in your pain. There's so many, so many Christians that are in pain. We have learned to, we've been in pain so long from things that have happened to us. That's kind of, they're, they're different. They ask, when I go in a hospital room to talk to a patient, a hospice patient who's dying, the first, one of the first questions I ask, are you in pain? And most of them, if, if they're not in our unit, they'll say no. But if you were somehow able to measure the level of pain in life, you would see the pain meter moving. But some, they have learned Unless it's off the chart, they don't even acknowledge that they're in pain. Some of us have lived in pain for so long that that's normal to us. And the only reason that it becomes an abnormality to us and it becomes an issue to us is when somebody touches us on that sore spot, when somebody says something about that area of pain, when somebody looks at us when we're going through something, when we're in a circumstance, and all of a sudden we find ourselves crying uncontrollably. We're angry for no apparent reason. We're reacting. It's because the pain that we've been reasoning about and trying to deal with in our flesh and learn to live with as a, as, as, a, as a companion, it didn't go away. It just waited to manifest in ways that if pain is not addressed, it will keep us from seeing Jesus. It will keep you from hearing the voice of God. It will even keep you in bondage. They, they responded to Christ out of their feelings, so instead of faith. So when Christ asked Cleophas, what you guys talking about that's making you so sad? Cleophas actually gets huffy. He said, are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know? Are you, are you slow? Is there something not working in your brain? What do you mean everybody knows what happened in Jerusalem? And so 
what the mistake that they made, when you're in your feelings, you're going to think that the Lord is asking you a psychological question, a question about your feelings. But he wasn't asking them a question about how they felt. He was asking them about, where's your face? In light of what happened in Jerusalem, where is your faith? So this wasn't a feeling question. This was a faith question. How do I know that it was a faith question? Well, the Lord said, they, here's, here's how Cleophas responds to Christ. This is how I know it was a faith question. This is very important. He said, here's the evidence that what we thought occurred to Christ actually did not. Here's the evidence that they had that should have convinced them that Jesus was alive. We have heard that the tomb is empty, evidence number one. We have heard that the angels, when the women went to the, to the tomb, spoke to the women and said, you're looking at the wrong place. He ain't no longer here, no, no longer occupied. A third thing, he said, they had heard Christ had appeared to the woman who had gone to the tomb, and she saw him and thought Jesus was a gardener. And when Jesus spoke, she recognized his voice, and she immediately fell to the ground and began to worship him and to hold him and cling to him. And Jesus says, do not cling to me, for I have not yet been glorified. They'd heard that testimony. And then as disciples, they had been in the presence of Jesus for three and a half years, long enough to hear Jesus teach about how he would die and would be buried and raise, rise again. And so Jesus... The issue wasn't that he didn't care about their feelings. He cared about your faith. What is your, where's your faith when you, would, when you would be overcome, when you would be so distraught that you can't hear the Lord, you can't see the Lord, and that you're in pain, and the pain that you're in, you're so accustomed to it that you don't know a day without pain. When we can't see Jesus or hear his voice, our pain will control us. We will act out of our feelings rather than faith. And the reason why that's true, the reason why the devil attacks us in that way, because Jesus, the devil knows there's something about being in the presence of the Lord, something about being in the presence of the resurrected Savior. Uh, uh, that's why the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 long years, she, she, she was incurable, and, and she spent all of her money and gone to every specialist, and, and, and now she was broken. There was no medical intervention, and she heard that Jesus was in town. How many of you know it's good to know when Jesus is in town? But not only did she hear, the Bible said she made her way to be in his presence, but when she got to where Jesus was. She found herself, like many of us, at the back of the line. She found herself without credentials. She found herself without financial uh, 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 resources. But that didn't stop her. She knew that if I could just get into his presence, and she pressed her way, crawling on the ground. She didn't need to just embrace. All she wanted to do was touch the hem of his garment. Something about being in his presence. If you press past your pain to get into his presence, Zacchaeus understood this, the importance of being in the presence of the Lord. That's why he climbed up into a sycamore tree with his Rolex watch and high-end alligator shoes and sandals of Louis, de, Louis, uh, Louis, de, uh, uh, Louis Vuitton. Yes. He didn't care what people thought about. Can you imagine his brother climbing up a tree in his gator sandal, sandals and his Louis Vuitton? 
in his Louis Vuitton suit. The four men who had a friend that was paralyzed, they finally get him to the worship service where Jesus is preaching and teaching, and it's an overflow crowd, and, 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 and they're they just trying to figure out how can we get our friend to see Jesus, because if you can just get into his presence, there's something about, oh, if you can get into his presence, there is peace, and, all of the, and so they decided, hey, we're not going to be deterred. We're not leaving here until we experience the presence of life. So they begin to tear the roof off. Somebody ought to get a little desperate. Some, do you want to see Jesus today? Do you want to see the resurrected Savior today? Do you want to, oh, sometimes you got to get a little crazy. Sometimes you got to get into worship and say, I don't care what anybody thinks. They may laugh at me. They may tell me to go away. But if Jesus is around, and so they begin to tear the roof down. They lower their friend down into the presence of the Lord. And then the Lord does something that's really crazy. He says, your sins are forgiven. And the religious says, wait a minute. Who can forgive sin but God? That's right. He can only, give, only God can forgive sin. And then he said, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or be healed? Of course, they didn't respond. Jesus said, be healed. And the man who was a paralytic, quadriplegic, paralyzed from the neck down, he stood up, took that pallet that he was lowered in, and walked out, praising God. There's something. I, I don't know where the healing for the pain that you've been in. I don't know how long it's been since you've heard the voice of the Lord. I don't know how long the Lord has been walking side by side, but the pain you've gone through, your feelings have kept you from touching his garment, from seeing him as he is. I wanted you to know if you can just get into his presence, the mothers and families who brought their children to Jesus, the mean leaders of the church, they ain't tithers, uh, they ain't no full-fledged members, get them out of here, but, the, but, the, but they would not be deterred, they would not be deterred, they knew that if they could just get their children in the presence of Jesus, that he would bless them, and he did, he blessed them. How many of you need, know that you need to get in the presence of Jesus? The resurrected Jesus, bless his name. Somebody say amen. amen. When you try to figure things out with your feelings, it will keep you from seeing Jesus, keep you from hearing from Christ. It will keep you in your pain. It's time for you to get out of your pain. Here's the conclusion that they drew after they, 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 uh, they the, their situation, uh, they, they, their explanation, and, and, and their, their rationalization, their realization that, that Jesus was there and all that. And here's, what they, here's their conclusion. Here's what you conclude when you're, you're in your flesh. They said Jesus, uh, in verse 19b, stay with me. Says Jesus, they concluded that Jesus is dead. The reason I know they concluded that Jesus was dead and done is because they spoke of Christ in the past tense. They said these things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, Mighty indeed in word before God and all the people that he was a prophet. They also concluded that he wasn't deity. They said he was a prophet. Now Christ said, my, I and my father are one. Jesus claimed deity, but now that they thought he was dead, they said, uh-uh, the brother wasn't no deity because he's not only, he's dead. De deity doesn't die. They, they thought that Jesus was defeated. I want you to know it on Friday, it looked like the devil had him. It looked like it was all over, but they forgot that Sunday was coming. But say, say with me, they thought that Jesus was defeated. He said that the chief priests and all the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. He's defeated. 
Oh, Friday looked bad. Friday was a bad day. They thought Jesus was delusional. They said, we were hoping that he was the true Messiah that would redeem Israel. And he really thought he was, but something was missing in the brain of Jesus. He was delusional. Not only is he dead and not deity and defeated, but the boy was a little loopy. He thought he was a redeemer, and we hope that he was. They also said that Jesus, in their conclusion, he was a disappointment. We hope that, he, that Jesus was something that he actually wasn't. He let us down. Have you ever thought that Jesus let you down? Have you ever felt that the Lord didn't hear you? Have you ever felt abandoned by the Lord? Well, they felt like when Christ died on the cross, that was the ultimate disappointment that this one that they were believing. So they told him, this one. They also, here's the, the last thing they concluded was, now the boy done disappeared. They don't even know where his body is. They went to the tomb, and it was empty, so his body is actually Missing in action. So their conclusions led them to their worst day. He's gone. We can't even go to visit the cemetery where he was. His body ain't there. He's gone. He's defeated. And, and it's over. And here we are walking back to a maze after spending three and a half years believing this. Going to church, studying our Bible. And the Paul, Apostle Paul says in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, if the resurrection didn't happen, we are the most miserable because Christ never rose, and we therefore are yet in our sin. Everything that Christianity stands on, the very foundation, stands on the truth that Jesus rose bodily from the dead. Just as he said, he said, if you tear this body down, I will in three days. You, no man, first of all, no man can take my life. I got to lay it down, but it's only going to be laid down for a little while. In the third day, I will, I will, I will raise up this body victorious over the grave. I want you to know this was a bad day. When you're in the flesh, it's a bad day. When you can't see Jesus, it's a bad day. When you can't hear his voice, it's a bad day. But the scene shifts from sadness on their worst day to gladness within seconds. Now, how does Jesus turn their worst day into their best day? We're going to finish with this. Stay with me. Here's what he says. Then he said to them in verse 24, Oh, foolish one, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. The first thing that Jesus does is he rebukes them. Sometimes you don't need a hug. You need a Holy Ghost slap. He called them foolish. Now, Jesus wasn't calling them foolish because they didn't believe the claims of the women and the angels and the empty tomb. He wasn't calling them foolish for that. He was calling them foolish because they rejected what God said about what would happen to Christ, that he would first suffer before he rose again. You're foolish when you don't believe the word of God. Sometimes we don't need, we, we, we need to be, we need a Holy Ghost slap. Now listen to me, church. Listen, listen clearly. Until you accept the truth, your emotions will control your life. Sometimes we're in bondage and we can't move forward because we keep lying to ourselves. 
The Bible says that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? If you keep living in your feelings, you will never fully know the truth. Jesus said the truth sets us free. We don't, don't start with your feelings. Start with our truth. Now, here's something else. Your feelings will continue to lie to you about the truth. About the truth. You will see things not as they actually are, like the disciples. They conclude he was defeated. He's dead. He was delusional. When you're in your emotions, you will not see clearly. I always say to people, don't make any major decisions while you're, while you're, while you're in your emotions right now. Don't do that. Your emotions, will, uh, you, your emotions will continue to lie to you about the truth. Here's another thing about our emotions going forward. You will never truly grow if you allow your feelings to prevent you from accepting and admitting the truth. We need to look at ourselves in the mirror and ask, are these things that are being said to me about me, are they true? Are they true? Don't, don't, we, the first thing we want to do is start swinging. What? Oh, no, you ain't going to tell me that. You ain't going to tell Oh, no. And we're responding in our emotions. We're not responding out of faith. We're not responding out of, I want to know the truth so I can grow. As long as you're operating in your feelings, you'll never grow. You will always be a spiritual infant. Paul called you, he said, carnal. And carnal people are divisive. They're fighters. They're jealous. They don't go deep in the word. They're superficial in the word. They can quote the scriptures, but they don't live by the word. So if you're living in your feelings, your passions, you will never grow. If you don't know how to tell yourself the truth, you will never confess your sins. You'll never be apologizing sincerely. You will always be trying to figure out why I did this because you did that. That's not, for, that's not repentance. You cannot be fully forgiven if you never acknowledge that you have sin. And you will never acknowledge if you have sin as long as you're responding out of your pain. Because you, you, you genuinely hurt. The problem is you haven't touched the hem of his garment. The problem is you haven't done like Barn Bartimaeus. Lord, I want to see. I don't want to continue to walk in darkness. I don't want to continue to miss your presence. Lord, I don't want to miss anything that you want to say to me because of my pain. I don't want to be blind. Not only did he rebuke them, but he refocused them by directing them to the scriptures. When you, when, in your worst day, you need to turn your attention to what God has said. The script, the Bible said, Jesus said, he said, the prophets have said, and then it's going to say, ought not the, at Christ suffer these things and before he enters into glory and beginning from Moses and all the prophets, he exegeted to them all, the, all that the scriptures had to say concerning him. Don't, don't rely on your feelings. Refocus your faith through the word of God. Get yourself in your Bible. Let God begin to minister to you through his word. He refocused them by directing them to the word. He also remained with them because they begged him not to leave. Oh, God. And the Bible said when, it, when the evening was beginning to come, he said, I'm going to keep pressing. I'm going to my next, my next stop. And they said, please don't leave us. Would you? So what happens is what, when, when discipleship leads to fellowship, when you get in the word, the word makes you want to be around other believers. When you've been in the word, it makes you want to go into deeper intimacy with the, God, the Lord. He, they said, please don't leave. Please. 
please don't leave. And here's what I know about the Lord. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, I will be with. The Lord will stay with you. He remained with them. The Lord will remain with you as long as you want to him to in terms of the intimacy. The word of God, when you are responding to the truth of the word of God by faith, you will desire a deeper intimacy with him. Lord, don't leave. Don't leave. Don't leave. He said, behold, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. If you let me in, he, he declares in his word, if you let me in, I will. There's no time limit to this. I will commune with you. I will fellowship. The problem is we, we, we okay with church. We okay with reading a couple Bible verses. We okay with praying because that's what Christians do. But are you okay to be in his presence? Are you like Joe, J- Jacob said, Lord, until you bless me, I ain't letting you go. I'm going to hold on. I'm going to hold on. Bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. As they remained in his presence, and he and theirs, he removed the veil. The Bible says, when Jesus broke the bread and gave it to them, they had that they recognized him. When they saw the nail print, oh, God, every time we come to communion and the bread is broken and you see the prince in Jesus' hand, you reflect on what he did. All of a sudden, even though he's not here in the present, in the physical sense, you see him. You see him. When he showed him there his hands through the breaking of bread, I want you to know that you'll never see clearly see Jesus the way they did if you don't learn how to have intimacy with him. They recognize him from the experience of him breaking bread with them. When's the last time you've had that kind of intimacy with the Lord? When's the last time communion wasn't just a perfunctory act that you did? You, this is what Christians do. No, no, no. He broke the bread, and they remembered that he said, and as often as you do this, you do this and remember to me. And so they removed the veil from their eyes. They saw him. I want you to know when you see Jesus, your worst day becomes your best day. When you see Jesus, it's all right. It's all right. And the Bible says, immediately, once they saw him, he vanished from their presence. Once you've seen him, you're all right. You're all right. It's interesting that the Lord could have said, when he first started walking, when he could have said, my name is Jesus. Look at the nails in my hand. Look at the prints and nails in my feet. Look at the scar. He could have said, he could have identified himself. But he wanted them to learn like us. We're not going to see Jesus on this side of heaven physically, but we can see him every time we open up the word. The Bible says that he taught them from Moses through all the prophets the things concerning him. And so the way that I'm going to see Jesus most clearly is when I go into this word, and as I'm in this word, the word will cause me the desire to be more like him, to be in his presence. And so the Lord showed him, them himself through the word. That's how we're going to see the resurrected Christ. And then when we've really seen him and we've had intimate contact with him, the last thing is he released them to greater works. He released them to greater work. Listen to verse 34 and 35. It says, and when they had, and when they said to one another, did not our hearts burn from within? While he talked to us on the road, and while he, oh, oh, something about the word of God. While he opened up the word, our hearts, when you know the Lord, it's something about this word. That's why when the scripture says the word is alive, it's quick and powerful. Somebody ought to say amen. Jeremiah put it like this. He said, your word was like fire. Oh. Oh, the word of God is like 
fire shut up in my bones. I tried to keep quiet. I said I wouldn't tell nobody, but I couldn't. I call somebody know what I'm talking about. This word, this word, this word. He said, then our hearts not burn from within as he exegeted the scriptures. That's why the devil don't want you in your Bible. That's why the devil don't want you paying attention when we're having worship service live stream. Because he knows that the word will set your very soul ablaze. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to your name, O God. Glory. Glory, Lord. Glory to your name, God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your word, oh God, on this resurrection Sunday. Thank you, God. So they rose up that very hour and they returned to Jerusalem, the place that they were running from, they returned to. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together, hiding, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told all about the things that had happened to them on the road and how they had known and how he was known to them through the breaking of bread. I want you to know that when you've seen the Lord, not only will he reveal himself to you, he'll release you to greater works. The first thing they did, they went back and told somebody. When's the last time you told somebody he's alive? He's really alive. He is risen from the dead. Their worst day became their best day. As we come to our conclusion at this, on this Resurrection Sunday and be reminded that this is Communion Sunday. It didn't happen, have to happen, but it did. Betty Washington, an elderly woman, lived with her daughter. She was very sick. And her daughter called the doctor out of concern because of her mother's cold not getting better. The doctor did a home visit. When the doctor got there, he prescribed medication. He said, if you take these three pills three times a day for seven days, you'll be better. Seven days later, uh, the daughter calls him. My mother's cough hasn't gotten better. In fact, she's worse. The doctor said, I'll come out immediately. And then he increased the dosage, said, now take these same pills, but on higher doses three times a day, and I'll come back and I'll check you. And the cough got worse and worse, and then she gets called back a third time, uh, increases the prescription, and then finally, on the third day of the seven-day prescription regimen, the daughter called, my mother's dead. My mother's dead, doctor, my mother's dead. And the doctor felt so distraught and, and, and responsible for his mother's death, he said, maybe I should have put her in the hospital. Uh, maybe I gave her the wrong prescription. So the doctor actually quit his practice, started drinking, left his family, and finally, on the day that Betty Washington was buried, the doctor went to the cemetery at a distance. He could see the ceremony uh, of committal being, being offered by the, by the minister and the family gathered around uh, the grave. And as they're lowering the body, the daughter gets a glimpse of the doctor at a distance, and she begins to run in his direction. The doctor thinking, oh, my, she's going to really be angry with him. Why she's going to really? And she said, doctor, oh, don't run. Don't go. Please, please. He said, I've been trying to call you. I've been trying to let you know. You, my mother didn't die because of the prescription you gave her. She said, when I was cleaning up my mother's room, I saw that every pill that she was supposed to take, she put in the trash because she didn't think she needed to take or follow the doctor's instructions. It didn't have to happen, but it did. She threw the medicine away. 
I want you to know that the instructions for how we can live, the prescription for how to overcome our pain, the prescription for how to walk in victory, the prescription for how to walk in supernatural power has been given in the word. You need to take this word. I bet he Washington didn't did and she died. I want you to know that there's some Christians who are walking dead, folks. You are alive, but you're not experiencing a life-changing word because faith without works is that when you apply the word, you take the prescription. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. Jesus, because he rose from the dead, he will make your worst day. Somebody can say, one day, my, my, my worst day was the day before I received Jesus. But once I received him, my day was on a Sunday. Maybe your day was on a Monday. Maybe yours was on a Saturday. But whatever that day was, he took your worst day because we were heading to a place called hell. He took your worst day made it into your best day through the resurrection of the living risen Savior. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you. We bless you that we can celebrate that you are yet alive. That Jesus, your son, has made salvation possible. Now as we continue to pray, I want to extend to you the offer of how your worst day, your worst case scenario is for you to breathe your last today and die having never made a personal decision to trust the resurrected Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that when you receive Christ by faith plus nothing else, that we are made right with God. And the reason we need to be made right with God is because we have a problem. And the Bible calls the problem sin. You know what that is. We've done wrong. We've said things wrong. We've thought wrong thoughts. And, and as hard as we try, we just can't get it together on our own. And on our best day, we still sin. But the Bible says God proved his love for us by sending Jesus to save us when we were without strength. I want you to know that we're without strength. I want you to know that you're in your worst day. What do you mean I'm in my worst day? I'm enjoying my marriage. I got a beautiful home. No, no, no. Separation from God is not a good place to be. But the word of God says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. If you agree, the word call is the same Greek word, homologale, to say the same thing that God has said about Jesus. What has he said about Jesus? That he is the God man. He is very God and very man. He's both God and man. And he came to earth and lived a sinless life to, and he took on our sins when he died for us. So if you believe that Christ died for you, you can trust him right now simply by praying this prayer as I'm praying. Just repeat these words. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're no longer in the tomb. I thank you, Jesus, that every one of my sins, past, present, and future, were nailed to that cross that you voluntarily died on as my substitute. You took my place. And Father, that blood that Jesus shed for me can only become applied to my sins 
when I say yes. So I'm saying yes. 